The Hearing, a legal podcast from Thomson Reuters. Celebrity careerism is a whole industry that's been built on trying to manage the images of celebrities. And a lot of it is incredibly, if not fabricated, completely fake. Mm. And so it's just useful to have something that grounds all of that Mm. and tells the stories behind the stories and just sort of aggravates the people that are spending a lot of time, money and effort Mm. in trying to keep their image polished. Joining us for the hearing today is Chris Lockery, editor of Potbitch, and his lawyer, or should say Potbitch's lawyer, Duncan Lamont from Charles Russell Speechley's. Potbitch is an online magazine of sorts, and also a regular newsletter, uh, which has been around for almost 20 years. And inevitably, given some of the close-to-the-bone stories that have been reported over the past few years, it's important to have good lawyers on hand, and it's a good opportunity for us to find out about that relationship. It's interesting to hear about the stories that have made the press uh, through Pot Bitch sometimes, but also perhaps the stories that haven't made its pages. The Hearing. Well, I think I should set the scene to start with. Here we are in bustling Soho, um, uh, literally onto the streets of, of outside and uh, media, media Central, as it used to be at least. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it's shifted a little bit now, but uh, it certainly feels that way. And we are joined by uh, Chris and Duncan. I should say Chris Lockery from uh, Pot Bitch yep. and Duncan Lamont of Charles Russell Speechley. Now, we'll get to probably more around why Duncan's here as we keep talking. Uh, but now, Chris, <laughs> tell us a little bit about Potbitch, get us started. Yeah, um, Potbitch is a, uh, a weekly uh, email newsletter, sort of uh, media industry gossip, pop music, chatter, and uh, other sort of scurrilous rumours that are doing their rounds from the, uh, the back rooms of journalism and stuff. Um, it's been running since about 2000. Mm. Uh, so right at the height of the, the the early web, it was one of the first kind of media newsletters that, yeah. that took hold. Uh, we've been running ever since a Thursday newsletter, sort of filled with uh, wow. all sorts of juicy tidbits. And, and we'll talk about some of those tidbits, no doubt, uh, <laughs> later. But a huge readership. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's uh, more to do with the founders than it is to do with me, but. Um, yeah, it picked up. Uh, it was originally set up just as a way for uh, a couple of journalists working in the sort of pop music mm. uh, field to, to sort of swap stories, um, little bits that got spiked from their yeah. interviews, things that they found funny that they just couldn't get past their editors, right. just as a little kind of mailing list that they'd swap stories with. Um, and it was originally just started between friends and then other friends of friends mm. has to be added to the list and added to the list and then... Um, started a message board online, which was a source of um, <laughs> good material and also uh, <laughs> a few uh, targeted threats. Um, there were a couple of sort of incidents that drew attention to it in the, mm. the wider media, and it's uh, it's just built from there, really. Yeah, fantastic. And so, when did you get involved? I got involved in about two thousand and eight, just a day a week to start with, and mm. then gradually. Uh, getting involved in different projects, yeah. uh, starting to do some longer writing as the world has got more and more uh, pop bitch. <laughs> Certainly in recent years, the sort of mix of celebrity and politics has, has really pushed to the forefront. There's been much more for us to, to mm. cover, really. Great. Um, I, I, and, and Duncan, uh, when did you start to get involved and, and what was your role sort of, uh, in those early days? Well, I got involved uh, as a lawyer, because this is the area that I work in, right pretty well near the beginning, mm. 
because obviously the founders had some concerns with the sort of material that they were putting out and no doubt we'll discuss but the law has evolved and changed both positively mm. in the defamation act and negatively in the arrival of privacy rights mm. uh, but it was to keep it on the relatively straight uh, and narrow and talk about um, subscriptions but and people who, who access it but um, I've noticed in a positive way because we've sometimes wondered who is reading it and that does include judges for pleasure not just for work <laughs> and lots of lawyers Absolutely. some of them for pleasure and quite a few of them for work yeah yeah because yeah. we have identified one or two but in a nice way it's a strange thing when we've been had course to do sort of market research and mm. look at the, the sort of um, types of people that read Popbitch and there is this sort of very dedicated it's not even really an outlier it's there's enough there to be a sort of yeah retired judges <laughs> really really like to just have a little 10 minute blast of smut on a Thursday afternoon <laughs> well you talk about some smut um, and, and uh, uh, so Camilla was one of the founders mm -hmm. um, Camilla Wright and I, I saw one of the quotes that she made and possibly and we'll come on to this maybe later during the Leveston inquiry uh, which was uh, we're trying to do no more than poke fun at people in the world of celebrity and I think that's probably a fair, a fair summary um, and it, okay it's moved into different areas and moved into different um, uh, maybe sectors of the entertainment industry as, as that in itself has expanded but at the heart of it is it still just good fun? Yeah I think so I mean we don't have much of, a, of an editorial style book mm. uh, but one of the sort of leading principles is if you can be nice if you can't be funny and these <laughs> stories that come to us I suppose the niche that it fills is with the increase of sort of PR focused mm. Um, celebrity careerism mm. there's a whole industry that's been built on trying to manage the images of celebrities and a lot of it is incredibly if not fabricated completely fake mm. uh, and so it's just it's it's useful to have something that grounds all of that mm. and tells the stories behind the stories and just sort of aggravates the people that are spending a lot of time money and effort mm. in trying to keep their image polished just to remind people what the reality of the situation actually is. Yeah, and I think in, in many ways it seems to be mirrored by the rise and rise and rise of social media. Um, in many ways you seem to be like a bit of a precursor to that, sort of, as you mentioned, tidbits, short tidbits of uh, juicy gossip, which has, has become much the mainstay of many social media platforms. Well, I think that's right. And in fact, you mentioned the Leveson Inquiry, mm. Camilla appearing before it, as she did. And one of the points that she was addressing is the the absence of a need to regulate. So television is regulated, yes. radio is regulated, we're used to that. Social media isn't. Leveson didn't deal with social media. Mm. But she was making the point that something like Popbit shouldn't be regulated. And I think lying behind it is, and again, going back going back six years, but Popbitch is about gossip and fun. Mm. It's not fake news. And people yeah. sometimes mm. misunderstand. It's, it's not a place where you get the sorts of stories that I'm afraid to say we're becoming familiar with, yeah. but they're properly sourced stories, but as Chris is saying, they are meant to be fun. Yeah, well, let's just talk about that, because uh, we can use the Leveson Inquiry as a bit of a hook to, to hang everything else up as we go through, but um, the sources themselves, now, um, it, people who've seen the newsletter, read the newsletter, they will have seen, many of them are just attributed by uh, initial, uh, mm -hmm. sometimes not even that, I suspect. Um, yep. how, how did that source um, uh, grouping uh, go? How, where did they come from? I know initially friends and family, but as the as Popich grew, presumably the sources grew as well. Yeah, so Popich is, is um, 
at its heart, sort of network of uh, internet. It, it's grown from what was the message board, mm. um, which was, uh, I guess, pseudonymized, if that's yeah, the correct word. Let's, let's go with it. People using online uh, <laughs> handles um, to swap stories. And, you know, with a message board, you see it with social media, you mm. see it with um, other kind of internet forum posting boards that um, there's obviously people on there that are just posting whatever they like, yeah. any sort of garbage. And there are people there with interesting information. Mm. Um, you develop a bit of a sixth sense for who is actually working in the industry, who's just sort of puffing their chest. Or got an ax to grind. Yeah, and then we were able through that to communicate with these people, talk to them, follow their tips, ask other journalists that we mm. knew what they knew about it. Um, sometimes you, you kind of passed on a tip, mm. you would see the story come to light six months down the line, you think, whoops, that person's obviously knew what they were talking about. Yeah. You go back to them. So there's this this uh, floating network of anonymous uh, industry insiders who we're in constant contact with, just sort of seeing where they stand that we can run stories by. Mm. Can't really tell you too much about exactly no, no, who no, they no, are. No, don't, don't, no, don't, don't. Sort of partly to protect the mystique of it, yeah. but also to to protect any individuals. Who, but from uh, Duncan's point of view, uh, sat there with his lawyer hat on, um, <laughs> and no doubt trusted advisor on many other issues as well, I'm sure. But um, uh, how how does that sit with you? Because okay, we can we can perhaps prove stories retrospectively, um, but at the time when they come to you, and, and sometimes there may be new people, new sources you've been working with, you don't have that, uh, that sort of trust element necessarily. Um, when do you give the thumbs up and the thumbs down, or, or does it only come to you after the event? Uh, no, sometimes it does come after the event, but more often <laughs> it comes well before, hence I hope no event. Um, one of the important things, both for me as a lawyer, but much more importantly for Camilla and the editorial team, is mm. the trust that they have in their sources. Yeah. And of course I can't go into any details, but no. it suffice to say if I'm saying you need more information or you need to focus on the, what, what's that about, I can only speak from experience generally, but they go back to sources and they come back with more information. Mm. So they clearly both, and this will be relevant to someone like Leveson when he's looking at this sort of thing, but there is a source, it's a trusted source, mm. it's a source that the institution that is Popbitch believes in, uh, and that has proved to work incredibly well. Yeah. When you mm. think of the incredibly small number of complaints there have been, because of the, the accuracy of the stories. As, mm. as I said earlier, it's not fake news, it's real. Mm. It's funny, it's gossip, mm. uh, but it's, it's exaggerated sometimes, I don't know. But it's, it's based upon something that's real and that's because of the, the yeah. trusted network yeah. and the way that Popovich also respects the people who trust it. You mentioned that came also from your experience, but going back almost 20 years now, not wanting to age you too quickly, but um, I'll flatter you either in many respects, but you must have been relatively sort of new to the professional, new to this particular area, which was presumably going through a huge growth uh, in and around sort of the late 90s, uh, early 2000s. Well, it was very interesting. I came originally from newspapers. I worked oh, in house at newspapers, okay. which um, I left because I could see that that wasn't the future. In fact, newspapers are better, I think, than anyone thought that they would, but mm. I went into television. So I was in a regulated mm. area and it was a breath of fresh air to be, though there are risks involved, yeah. but to be in, as it were, good old fashioned seat of the pants journalism, <laughs> yeah. um, particularly with an editorial team who were prepared to take risks, but also cautious about taking unnecessary risks. Yeah. So for me, coming from a Yes, I was experienced in this area, mm. but this was a different environment mm. and an indication to me as also 
I was new to all this sort of thing of just the the fun but also the dangers yes. of this sort of thing and and as I'm sure we'll discuss but Pop Bitch was at the heart of the beginning and also thankfully the end of the super injunction era yeah and, and well let's go let's move on to that uh, why not um, because everyone's read about it of course they have um, it's been impossible to avoid it over the last 10 years or so um, can you there may be people who don't quite understand as may actually the people who know a lot about it still don't understand how do super injunctions work and how really has Popovich been, um, I'm guessing, on the receiving end of them? How does, how does that happen? Well, um, I don't want to get too bogged down into much legal jargon, but a, a super injunction, as it's called, is actually just an injunction, but it was given a nice name because it gave it cachet. Although <laughs> it, sometimes there's something called an anonymized injunction, which yes. is when you don't know who the claimant is because it's so secret. But there came a time with the development of the Royal Privacy in the mid-noughties onwards mm. that these um, injunctions were being served, usually on Fleet Street, mm. but smart lawyers would have a pretty good idea that Pop Bitch would know about it too. And they were being served, I mean, Chris will remember these days, but <laughs> certainly every month, and sometimes it <laughs> yeah. seemed like every weekend, Wow, someone was being super injuncted. Yeah. Uh, and to stop a newspaper, as it were, leaking to yeah. uh, people didn't understand the the um, higher standard that they may have expected that Popovich imposed upon itself yes. rather than imposed by anybody else. So they were, we were getting these super injunctions. And of course, it did mean information that I knew Popovich knew in advance became very hard to okay. put out because, of course, that was one of the things it was trying to do to yeah. stop like a blanket, all discussion of footballer X, mm. relationship with girlfriend Y, mm. and the role of the wife, or whatever it may be, as mm. they were in those bad old days. Mm. And uh, does it become then a little, it sounds like it might become a bit of a race, uh, to, to if, if you get the, the wind of something might be coming about through Fleet Street, from Fleet Street, um, did you ever feel that sense of urgency of, well, we've got this story already, um, let's run with it? By the time that we were aware of an injunction, no, before that, because because I imagine that you get a sense of these things, and if and, and probably bef maybe not the ones that were sending the injunctions directly to you, but the ones that were suddenly serving them over on the Daily Mail or the Sun or whoever else down down uh, down the road. Um, if you were aware of that, but you weren't in receipt of the injunction itself, was there an element that you could get away with it? I. Uh, Am I thinking too, too much uh, of that? It's difficult to give any specifics. By yeah. the very nature of injunctions, it's difficult to get into the specifics mm. of any given story. I think one can simply say, pop which has been never done, never been done for contempt of court. Yeah. Yes. If there is a line, it may have been perilously close, but mm. it never went over it. Mm. And, and one of the things that you've been clever at, perhaps, and um, this brings me to one of the injunctions, uh, that you actually made a bit of a big deal about, which is you don't necessarily always in fact, sometimes rarely, name the individuals involved. You might allude to things, you might drop some clues, a few hints, but you might not always name them. Now, how does that sit with, well, with the, let's say, the law? So I think actually what we, what we did do, um, that, uh, and not to, not to correct you on this, but Please do, right? um, around, I think it was 2014, there was a, a very famous... Um, Injunction. It looked like the, the whole injunction craze was going to come back. Right. Very, very high profile one. And um, we could see that other publications were trying desperately to kind of hint at it, push at it. So um, we thought it might be more interesting to look at 
the reporting of injunctions mm. rather than trying to aggravate this injunction or, or, yeah. <laughs> or get lawyers swarming around us threatening us with contempt. Mm. Um, so what we did is is, is we um, and this is <laughs> this is when Duncan and I became quite quite good pen pals. Um, <laughs> everybody knows that in the media. There's, there's writers trying to push these things and they always come out after the fact if an injunction ever gets overturned mm. uh, you can always go back over the writing and say oh look they mentioned this oh they mentioned this yep. um, it happens all the time it's a very well known sort of in joke in mm. media circles and we thought let's just share it with, with everybody we were very careful not to do anything that would um, hint at the person who it yep. was because we understand that's an extremely grave mm. um, legal thing to do and so we wanted to just give people a bit more context as to how the media treats these injunctions. Mm. So, yes, we, we wrote this thing and almost immediately was sent a letter from um, one of the high-profile uh, so, uh, firms. Mm. It was Carter Rupp, I believe. Yeah, it yeah, was. It was. And we knew they, didn't, they were really just barking at us. There was yeah. no bite there. So <laughs> we, we didn't take the article down. Uh, and instead what we did is we tried to show people the sort of threatening legal letter you get when you write mm. these sorts of articles, trying to um, bully you into taking it down even though there was no uh, legal transgression. So um, I asked Duncan if we could publish the letter. Duncan told me absolutely not, that would be a breach of copyright. Am I correct in saying that? that would have I, been... I'm afraid to say that would perhaps have been the advice because it would have been. Yes. So, uh, in that regard then, um, I decided to look at uh, copyright um, exemptions and uh, loopholes in the law that would allow me to perhaps show a bit more of the letter than I, I could do yeah. verbatim. Um, so, uh, there was all sorts of things we tried. Um, there was, uh, we could, um, I think there was accessibility, so there's yeah. um, a certain exemption for making things accessible for the blind. So we wrote out a section in Braille. Okay. Uh, there was this, uh, there's exemption for parody, so yep. we wrote one paragraph up as a Radio 4 comedy sketch. I won't ask you to read that out now, but I do have it here. Fuss Budget, the lawyer, I believe, yes. is the name of the character. So <laughs> I think we, it's better sung. Yeah. <laughs> oh, really? Well, maybe we'll save that for, uh, for afterwards. Um, but then I, I think the main piece that we did, we, we turned one paragraph of the um, one of the critical paragraphs into a work of art. Yes. There's a certain fair use um, amount for, for art. So we, we created a mixed media piece of artistic uh, wonder called Not for Publication 2016, uh, a mixed media piece, um, <laughs> which we got put uh, in a frame and it was still hanging up in the office somewhere. So, uh, and, and what was the response? Well, first of all, probably what was Duncan's response to that? But, but second of all, did you ever hear back from Carter Rook on that point? Well, the the Copyright Act has exemptions mm. that are there specifically to allow information to reach the public that would yep. otherwise be stopped by the boring old Copyright Act, although the Copyright Act is vital. It protects, for example, pop pitch. Yep. Let us not forget. So it's there to protect us all. But mm. there are these exemptions in Section 32. Um, and it was just a question of using one's imagination to utilize them fairly and that's the crucial thing it has yes. to be fair and that sort of goes into the pop bitch fun mm. bit mm. Uh, so the it, it wasn't nasty because that by definition would cease to be fair and it was having a game having a play yeah and i think that's kind of what we enjoyed about the injunction craze injunctions are interesting and they're they're, they're a vital part of 
the law. And there was this huge um, conversation on social media about these are worthless in the social media age. We should get rid of them. There's no purpose to them. There's no point in having these things. It's outrageous that people can pay to have things covered up, which in one sense is true, yeah. but injunction law exists for good reason. And there are absolutely definite reasons why yeah. they should exist and why they should be granted in certain um, instincts. I happen to feel that uh, during this craze of 2011, 2012, and again, mm. uh, with this injunction we're talking about here, um, possibly overstepped them up. Possibly, uh, I believe the judges were acting a little too um, generous. Being generous, I suppose. Yeah. Yes, we know how serious they can be. We mm. didn't want to get ourselves in huge amounts of trouble. Mm-hmm. However, there is a very interesting context surrounding the whole of the injunction story that wasn't really being talked about, and that's where we were living. And it's yeah. fun to play at those things, yeah. but we didn't want to. Put ourselves in huge legal jeopardy because we're an independent publisher it's yes, not like yeah, we have the the the, the, the war chest of news yeah. uk or anyone of the big uh, media companies to sort of fight these battles however we didn't want to just sort of roll over and let uh, somebody threatening us for no good reason that the, yeah. the uh, what was what's particularly interesting is that even and, and this is a genuine question i don't know the answer that even those injunctions that were taking place the more, the more recent and perhaps the historic ones as well um I, I think I'm right in saying the one we're talking about. I think it's PJSYMA. If we can, I don't even know if we can talk about it or not. But we can, well, you can talk about, about it like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and the, the problem, and I think this is what made, in some ways, the law a bit of a joke. That it was being reported in Scotland, it was reported in America, it was seemingly reported all over social media. But what's right and what's wrong? When can you get into trouble? When, when are you when are you safe? Uh, does it depend on where you are, or does it depend on uh, where? Where your email server is. So I had a really interesting um, situation, and perhaps this is something that you'll. Um, I, I'd be interested to hear, to hear what your opinion on this is. Actually, don't hang on a minute. Who's interviewing? And maybe, yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> and maybe, maybe uh, this this won't survive the edit. But um, around this time, we were um, we had a regular slot on a, an LA radio show, an LA uh, evening radio show. Yeah. So. On a morning, a Monday morning, I think it was, uh, either Camilla or I would call into this show, mm. and we talk about the big story of the of the week yep. in the UK. And we have five minute segment, and we catch up. And there was one week where this injunction PJS YMA was uh, all anyone was talking about. Mm. There was absolutely mm. nothing it was else. Huge. We could have spoken about, and they were very keen to talk to us about it. We were slightly less keen, being on British <laughs> soil, uh, to talk about it. But I wasn't sure in that situation what the legal, what my legal position was. Um, obviously I err on the side of caution with all of this, but to, to sort of map it out, I was speaking on the phone with an LA radio show. They were broadcasting to a local LA audience. Yes. Yep. Um, they are not bound by an injunction. Yep. It applies only in England and Wales. Is that correct then? Uh, yes. So, uh, however, I was standing on British soil mm. Um, using a, uh, a, a British mobile line. Yes. Um, felt like I wasn't able to to use names, say anything, didn't identify anybody. However, I didn't feel that I was also in any position to stop them from talking about it because they were on American soil, using American equipment, yep. completely under the First Amendment, able to talk about it. There had been, uh, it had been published in America. It was, it was common knowledge. Mm. Um, so I was there, didn't know what I could say, batted all the questions away. Mm. However, then the problem is, 
that show then becomes a podcast available globally. Got it. So then what's my situation? Mm. I think you summed it up by on British soil. Yeah. Uh, and you would have wanted to have that interview on American soil. Yes. <laughs> but lovely. It's a long way to go for five minutes. Uh, but but yeah. I was traveling to America quite a lot then. My mm. wife is American. So I was, uh, you know, if I go and I tweet uh, yes. the identity of this person, turn on my geolocation, yep. break an injunction while I'm there, presumably under American soil, nobody's going to prosecute me. But as a British citizen, mm. They're on a British passport. Mm. Have I aggravated something at the British courts that they could then get me? I mean, <laughs> America wouldn't extradite me, but I need to come home. Yeah. Um, so what's what, what do you come home to? Can I delete yeah. the tweet before I leave and then? Oh, you, you, again, uh, it will depend on the circumstances. But you would be at some theoretical risk if you came back. Of course, <laughs> if you knew <laughs> the injunction. You see, and this is the thing: by serving pop bitch, yeah, you did know the injunction. Yes, yeah, you're in the inner circle. Yeah, although I, I would only mention because we talk about America, uh, you talk about freedom, American freedoms, but of mm. course it was the Americans who were at the forefront of non-disclosure agreements, which mm. has now become huge because as the injunctions diminished. The British lawyers, of which I am one, but started using NDAs to yes. stop information reaching mm. the public, having learned from our American cousins, and indeed, as we now know, Donald Trump and his legal team mm. who were mm. using them. So it's a constant battle for journalists mm. to get stories out because the legal process does protect confidential information and private information, largely the same thing, mm. but sexual information and so on. Um, and you are at peril, and indeed the individual who signed the agreement can be at peril if these uh, non-disclosure orders, agreements, sorry, are made because they are in the ironies. They are now more powerful than the orders. So yeah. a mere contract yeah. mm-hmm. has become more powerful than an injunction with the stamp of a high court judge. So but, but things evolved. Background to. Um and I've used this flippantly, but the other of so what? And like you said, you don't have a huge war chest, you're an independent publisher. Um, if you do break that injunction, what is the outcome of that? On, on Pogbitch, but also presumably on you personally? Yes, this is the whole threat of the injunction to a journalist. Mm. It, it, it can be a prison term oh, really? because the courts understand that mere financial penalties don't always work Mm. because there may not be any money, Mm. which is why editors are always, national newspapers, but also uh, this sort of publication, at risk. A a risk, as it were, that that no one else bears because of their role as an editor. So there is a threat there. Um, With an NDA, you wouldn't get that Mm. because it's a contract between two parties. You may be breached of the contract, you can be sued, but But there's a much lower level of of risk. but of course, it's much harder to get the information. Yeah, yeah. And much more expensive to get an injunction, I should imagine, to start with. Mm. Um, not looking at you directly. Don't <laughs> <laughs> and so um, let's go back to Leveson briefly, because I, 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 it's, it's so interesting. I'm, I'm curious, first of all, um, as we know, Camilla gave evidence. I guess you were sat here listening or watching it live, uh, Chris. Uh, yeah, we, we had a, um, uh, a meeting with uh, Karen Patry Hoskins. Uh, in advance just to sort of explain what Popovich mm. did and mm. kind of get her up to speed. Um, but yeah, no, Camilla gave evidence I was I was uh, a spectator. And what was your involvement in that, Duncan? Were you sat on the sidelines? Were you sat by the side? Um, were you, oh, well, I, well I was sat by Camilla's side, as it were, right. uh, and worked uh, with her as her lawyer mm. um, uh, in the normal way in mm. the preparation of her witness statements. And nothing unusual about that, I should mm. make clear. 
Uh, and yes, we engaged with the um, the, the barristers who were Leveson's people. Yes. Um, in, in, in that process. But of course, it wasn't really about... Um, he was interested in it. Yeah. And he would loved, would have loved to have sucked in social media mm. or something like Popbitch, which isn't actually mm. social media per se, but but I think he realised on reflection and indeed on advice and having considered it all that it just wouldn't work. Yeah. And I think a lot of people can be thankful for Camilla and one or two other people who, who spelt out um, no criticism to involved in the inquiry, but the future or, or the future as we saw it, but I think it's turned out to be pretty well accurate mm. of an unregulated... I say Wild West, but things are actually, I'm afraid to say, a lot worse now than mm. was envisaged then. Mm. Um, and, and certain organisations such as Popbitch, I think, would be regarded as beacons of honesty mm. in, a, mm. in a troubled fake new world, fake news world. It's a big question, but what do you see coming next? Um, we were we also about Leveson Part 2. Uh, is that still on the cards? Is it something that we might see? A few people would love Leveson Part 2. I don't think that includes Leveson. Uh, I think he <laughs> learned his lesson. Uh, he said, it's very sad because he worked incredibly hard, mm. but he said, I'm going to produce a report that's going to be taken seriously, unlike the last mm. series of reports from judicial inquiries into the media. Yeah. And I'm afraid to say no one has taken it seriously because it was almost mm. immediately overtaken by events. For example, hacking. Yes. He was told it was only the news of the world. Since then, other newspapers admitted that they do it, having denied it at the time. So mm. the information he received on a, on a key bit, because it was the media, there mm. was some broadcasting of course and yep. the BBC IT and ITV made submissions too but it was focused on the media mm. and you know, it has not stood the test of time through no fault directed at all those involved in it so Leveson 2 would be I'm afraid to say obsolete and I don't think the public would want to, mm. to pay for it mm. and uh, we, we talk during Leveson but also um, in copyright and in defamation in, in injunctions generally there's a lot of talk about public interest do you think the public interest has shifted from, certainly from sort of 2000 to where we are now? And then what's really been the, if it has, what's been the cause of that? Well, I don't say legally, because that is a legal test, mm. has actually pretty well stayed the same. But I think the, the public interest has developed on the part of a public to an expectation mm. that they will get news, not necessarily accurate news, or yeah. it is vacuous celebrity news, mm. people's use of makeup rather than actually what lies beyond. Yeah. Um, but the law has to reflect the much greater free flow of information. Mm. And to a large extent it has. And that's why, for example, non-disclosure agreements are being looked at by the courts. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I, I'm also I'm conscious of time. So I, there's a few things I want to talk about. Um, the first one is maybe a bit of advice. If you find yourself on the receiving end of a pot bitch story, Mm -hmm. um, uh, what advice, first of all, would you give to the person who's, re who's on that receiving end? What's the best way to, uh, sort of, uh, to respond to you? To respond to us? Um, we're fairly thick-skinned, so we're, you know, we, we, <laughs> we're, we're not too um, worried about the, the tone. We, we understand that people don't necessarily care to be featured within our pages. Generally, the advice is to... to not fight it, take it in the spirit in which it's yeah. intended. I think our readers are um, quite a kind-hearted bunch. Mm. I feel like the name Popbitch, while I love it dearly, does us a slight disservice in making people think that we're constantly sniping at people, constantly out to get people. There's a lot of warmth and a lot of affection for the world that we, we view. Mm. Our readers 
adore a lot of the people within our pages. And a lot of the stories we run are actually quite nice. They might be a little embarrassing. They might be, you know, talking about something from 25 years ago that they'd rather forget. You know, own up to those. If it's something completely incorrect, Mm. your best bet is to dish on someone else. I would suggest (laughs) to someone else, tell us that's not true, but let me tell you something else. That would absolutely... um, go miles for us. So I think I'm right in saying, uh, you, you, you have, I'm presuming you're going to have a lot of celebrity fans. And um, I think I'm right in saying that, well, way back in 2005 though, David Furnish wrote to you um, to respond to a story uh, sort of denying any sort of uh, relationship issues with uh, Sir Elton. I'm not sure if he was back then, but um, uh, and engaged directly. Now, does that happen a lot as well? Um, yeah. Yes, I mean, there's, there's people who have who've got in touch to correct us. I mean, Sophie Ellis Bex, the famous who once uh, got in touch with us to tell us that she didn't have a moon-shaped head, she had a rhombus-sized head. <laughs> um, things like that, small corrections like that. Uh, more of a clarification. More of a clarification, <laughs> exactly. Uh, Neil Fox got in touch with us recently. He mm. was quite keen that we corrected a story uh, that said he had a leather, leather jacket on his motorbike that said, if you can read this, the wife's fallen off. Uh, he wanted us to make clear that it was um, a t-shirt and it said, if you can read this, Vicky's fallen off. It was made for him by his, um, his colleagues as a sort of thank you. So it wasn't something that he picked out for himself necessarily. Um, but, the, you know, the germ of the story was true and he was, mm. he was extremely nice about it. Good. Um, so, you know, um, yeah, people do get in touch. Um, and generally they don't, they, I don't think anyone feels too agreed. Uh, Ginny Gibson, the ex-editor of BuzzFeed, um, mm. did some uh, work as an extra on Biker Grove in her university days. Uh, I think we conflated two jobs that she'd had. Um, <laughs> so uh, she'd worked for Tang T's TV and also had been an extra on Biker Grove, but they weren't the same job. And uh, I think she was, you know. That's, that's a strange thing to, to, to keep you awake at night. And uh, what keeps you awake at night, Duncan? Very little. Oh, good. That's, that's reassuring <laughs> to As I alluded to earlier, but the law changed in, in 2014, in effect, to bring in serious harm. Yeah. And that has helped Pop Bitch a lot because once upon a time we used to get lawyers' letters mm. on the most trivial, mm. we might think, inaccuracies and indeed libel claims. And that's pretty well stopped because mm. Pop Bitch isn't in the business of doing serious harm, it's in the business of entertainment and fun, as we've been discussing. Um, and is not out to make an actor unemployable mm. or something that mm. could be used as a lawyer to suggest that this is serious harm. It's not really. I'm not suggesting there haven't been any stories, but so that that change has made Popovich's life slightly easier. On as I said, the other hand, the greater privacy. A lot of the funniest Popovich stories are intrusive, mm. but people seem to take them in their stride because it's so clearly a gas. Mm. Mm. Well, great. Thanks, guys. Um, we've not had time to talk about Duncan's favourite pop artist, Cheryl Cole, unfortunately, um, who I, I think he's also in a pen pal relationship with, from what I understand. And people can, I'm sure, read more about that on Pop Bitch. But um, uh, thank you so much. We're going to uh, close there and uh, I'm going to pick up some Eurovision tips, hopefully, uh, which, <laughs> which, which I know is one of the, the, the key drivers. To Atari 2019. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Uh, Pleasure. Thank great. you very much. And so much. Uh, best of luck more in the next 20 years. <laughs> Fingers crossed. The Hearing. As ever, thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode. Join us again, and uh, why not give us a rating or subscribe? That way you'll get an alert every time we release a new episode. The Hearing, a legal podcast from Thomson Reuters.
To find out more, go to tr.com forward slash the hearing or subscribe via iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.